in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, this is Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my clever co-host, Patrick Pister. How hey, Mark. Today? Mark, how are you doing today? It's been a while since we've been together. <laughs> we have. That sounded bad, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've done an interview together. Yeah, we haven't gotten together in quite a while. This is a 2018 January, a bright, cold day for Houston, and we're sitting here with a guest, aren't we? We are. We are here with uh, Jan Van Hoganwoo. Did I get the right, last name right? Jan Van Hoganwoo, there, yes. Okay, close enough. With, uh, with Dutch name, horrible. With uh, Damon or Damon Shipyards, how do you pronounce yeah, it? Here in the U.S., we I refer to it as Damon because that's how it is phonetically spelled. But it's, it's a family name and it's pronounced as Damon. Damon. Yeah. Yeah, and Jan, I had the pleasure of listening to you speak at our API luncheon a month or so ago, and you just told a fascinating story about something I never thought was exciting, and but I also didn't realize how big it is in the world, and it's actually shipbuilding. Yes, shipbuilding became my industry about uh, seven and a half years ago. I came from real estate, high-end real estate in, in, in Naples, Florida, got the opportunity to, uh, to work for the Dutch company, family-owned business, 100% family-owned business. Dahmen Shipyards uh, out of the Netherlands, large company, 35 shipyards, uh, 12,000 employees, been doing business since 1969 and uh, still up to today very much run by the founder, Mr. Dahmen, at the age of 74. Of course, his family, his, his son and his daughter are in the industry now, are in the business as well and are doing a fantastic job. Rose Dahmen is running the super yacht division that we own. And Arnout is the uh, the COO of daily business at the Diamond Shipyards uh, Group. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's fascinating when watching your presentation. I always knew that large commercial vessels were part of oil and gas industry. I mean, everything from tenders to crew boats to super tankers. But y'all are a huge company building some really big ships out there. And the oil and gas industry is a place where y'all fit very well. Yeah, we, we, we think so too. We really, we built ships, small ships from, from 12 meters, say 30, 35 feet tenders, uh, pilot boats up to five, 600 feet, actually 700 feet uh, military vessels. That's what we do today. We just bought the largest shipyard to the group in Romania, and that's capable of going f- far beyond that. Uh, we're now capable of building ships with a beam of, of say, 50 meters. So it's 160 feet. Uh, and then you're really talking about drill ships, but also cruise vessels, large super tankers, uh, bulk carriers, yeah. So you're looking at very large construction. You're looking at a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, a lot of materials, but y'all run a very safe operation. Yeah, we do. Now, health and safety, of course, is something that came to Europe. I can say that later than it than it, it was introduced here in, in the U.S. Well, we have adapted to it about four, five years ago and full-fledged. I mean, everyone in our company knows, you know, you, you walk to the pier, you, lo- you walk in a factory in, in the shipyard with your helmet on, glasses on, and your, your safety boots, 
but but it's more than that. It's it's also being aware of the dangers and using your brain. And well, yeah, we're we're we have a good record, and uh, fortunate. I mean, you can't always control that, of course. But we we do right now. We 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 do whatever needs to be done to keep safe. Given our audience an understanding of your operations, how many countries, how many shipyards do you operate in around we, the world? Yeah, that's a good question. We operate thirty six shipyards in approximately 12 or 14 different countries with uh, roughly 12,000 uh, employees, workers. And, uh, and that's yeah, all over the, the you said China, over, the yeah, Netherlands. We own, we own uh, shipyards in China, in Vietnam, in the Middle East, uh, two different countries. In Romania, we have two very, very large shipyards. We own shipyards in Poland, in Sweden, in the Netherlands, we own shipyards, new construction yards and ship repair yards. We own a big ship repair yard in Curaçao, where we own a, we manage partly own a small yard in Cuba. So yeah, we have a presence globally. So how do you manage? I've been in shipyards in Singapore and other parts of the world. And with some of the companies I worked for, I was kind of told to, you know, hands off the shipyard guys. They have their own way of doing things that doesn't quite meet the, the standard that our company had. How do you manage safety across that many different countries, cultures, shipyards, locations? Very difficult. You can think of rules and regulations and safety methods in uh, from the Netherlands, from your corporate office, and then try to implement them in Romania or in Poland or in, in, in the Far East, in Vietnam, in China. But as you said, Patrick, it's different in each and every shipyard. It's different in each and every country. Having said that, we have European managers at all of these yards, whether it's in China or in Vietnam, and they are very strict with health and safety regulations that we have. It might take more time to implement it in Vietnam than it does in the Netherlands, but we're trying to control it. We're on top of it. Everyone is made aware from the ownership down to the welders that health and safety is is one of our top priorities nowadays. But it's a different culture that they, they've grown up with. You said the, the U.S. We have safety in oil and gas and shipbuilding, is it's been around for a while. And even in Europe, it's been there, but it's... It's not the same culture in Singapore and China and Vietnam. However, I, I've always been amazed on the market if you've ever seen their morning calisthenics that the entire yeah. <laughs> shipyard uh, yeah. staff will do, yeah. that that's not going to happen in the States. No, no You're not going to get an entire group of ship hands here in the in the States doing morning calisthenics before they start their no, work. But it's but this is what we, what we discussed earlier as well. You know, part of, of being safe on the workspace is, is your tools, is, is the fact that you have a helmet, glasses, work boots. But an important part of being safe is watching out for yourself and use your own brains. Don't go blindly by the regulations that are there. And, and, and that's very much a Dutch heritage thing to do. So we educate the people, you know, use your own brain as well when you walk on a shipyard. Don't walk underneath, even though you're wearing a helmet. Be aware of your surroundings. Very, very important. And look out for your coworkers as well. Don't be concentrated on yourself. But but if you see something at the workspace that isn't right, go help someone. And not necessarily to report something, but first of all, go help that worker and go point out, hey, you know what, that's kind of dangerous to do. You, you're much better off 
stepping two steps aside and, and do it this way in order to prevent accidents. And if it comes from your colli- colleagues, your, your fellow workers, it usually means a lot more than a manager that says it has to be done this way. Yeah, it's uh, Patrick, we talked about this at lunch and it was, it was a little subtlety, but I want to go back to uh, what you're saying, Jan, about common sense and using your brain. And that starts a lot with awareness, right? Just being aware of where you are and what's going on around you. Yeah, correct. I mean, awareness is 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 probably the most important uh, factor uh, to it. And that takes a while. I mean, when we really, when we hired our first HZQ manager, and this is about six years ago, when we really got serious, when we introduced ourselves to the oil and gas industry, we first maybe did it because we felt we had to do it because we were entering the U.S. offshore market. But within a year, year and a half, we changed to a philosophy that we really realized that we should have done this much sooner already. And it's good for everyone. Everyone is more secure. It prevents accidents. It, it gives a safer and more pleasant work environment. And you know what? At virtually no cost. I mean... Yeah, we've talked about this on the show. Really, if you run a safer environment, you run a more efficient environment, right? So it's, if you do it the right way, it actually helps your margins. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Mark, I mean, efficiency, that's that's where you might have some discussions with the people in the Netherlands because they might think that it is more or it's more efficient to work in a an engine room without a helmet than with a helmet. And, and they might be right. But when one person gets hurt, gets a hole in, a hole in his head, needs to go to the hospital – just see how many hours you've just lost. Yep. And 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 I think I think awareness there has really hit our shipyard group four or five years ago. And since then there's no way back. I mean, we, we like the way we operate now. Yeah. Well, I like that y'all have the you kept saying HSEQ and the qualities part of there. And just like Mark said, the the more efficient or the the less moving parts, the less rework you have to do, the less harm, you know, the, the less exposure you have to hazardous environments. And you put a lot of emphasis on, and I call it personal safety. So personal versus procedural safety, giving people the uh, the power to make decisions to keep themselves safe versus blindly following a procedure Correct. or something that's that's written by who knows in yeah. the office. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, but that's also in Dutch heritage, as we discussed in, in, in uh, over lunch. It's typically what we do. We're taught to you know, look out for ourselves, uh, use our own ability to solve, resolve issues, but also to step up to someone and, and say, hey, I don't care that you're, not, that you're not wearing a helmet, but you're in a dangerous work environment here. Do me a favor, wear it and for yourself. And if that comes from a colleague, worker, you know, co-worker, what I just said, that, that really hits and they'll do it because it's not, it's not fun to be the only one walking around without a helmet. Yeah, and you told a story at lunch. I'm not going to name the company. It's just one of the large super majors out there. But literally, uh, you had some senior people from that company yeah. as clients. Yeah, that, that's an interesting story. A, a major oil and gas operator for, for who indirectly we were building some large offshore vessels. They came to visit us at our corporate office where we have an assembly facility. And the next day, they went to our large shipyard in Romania. And uh, where our, you know, our corporate office is all contemporary, beautiful, everything is manicured, it's beautifully done. They had a lot of remarks about the way we were, in their opinion, not exactly up to par with HSAQ. Well, the next day, they left to Romania, and uh, I couldn't go with them. So I called them at the end of the day, being worried, because Romania, you know, 
doesn't tend to be generally better organized HCQ-wise. Well, what happened there was intriguing. They um, they walked one of the big construction halls, and um, in the middle of it, a, one of their inspectors uh, from the oil and gas industry, he walked out, left the green path, walked out to a piece of steel to, to look at the weld quality. And immediately, one of the welders started yelling in Romanian, hey, go back to the green path. And, and, and he said, you're not supposed to be there. And the guy from, from this oil mage, he said, well, listen, I have got all the safety equipment. He said, I don't care. I don't think it's safe. Get back to the green path. Whereby our, funny enough, well, I don't know where it's that funny, but our... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to us over lunch. <laughs> well, our HSAQ guy said, no, 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 this is okay. This is, you know, this is someone from, from well, he mentioned the name of the oil company. And, um, and he said, I don't care. And he walked towards this individual. I don't care who it is. He needs to go back to the green path. And afterwards, at night, during dinner, this oil company said, you know, this is by far the best shipyard we've seen in many, many years. We're very impressed. And the fact that I was sent back to the green path, I, this was not enacted. We could clearly see that the guy was upset that I was there, whether he was correct, yes or no. But the fact that he did that, I mean, we're so impressed with this. So, yeah, here you see, we're, we're trying to be accommodating. And, and no, that's not what they wanted. Yeah. And it, what's awesome about that story is literally that didn't come from your owner exactly that was a frontline employee yeah. who was busy welding yeah. stop what he was doing to make sure somebody didn't get hurt correct wow. correct and it's the same shipyard funny enough where years before i walked the floor with a delegation from the government of newfoundland we were building uh, two big ferries and out of the blue, the question came that I had never anticipated. Jan, what is your policy with regard to starting age of your employees here? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we've heard that in Romania, people can start working at age 12 and 13, and we would not be building ships here if that's the case. And I'm like, oh, I didn't ever pay attention to that one. So I looked around to the manager of the shipyard, and he said, well, follow me. And we followed him to a, a classroom where they had 20, 25 people welding and, 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 and being taught the shipbuilding process at age 16, because that's the legal age. But we don't allow them at the floor at age 16. They are in training classes for two years until they turn 18. And again, I didn't know this, but the government of Newfoundland was very impressed with it. And it was, it was cool, but that's you know part of our, our way of working. I'm impressed with that. Actually, that's something I never trades. would have thought about. Yeah. yeah, but but to even ask about the age of your exactly. employees is something yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. But I also like your other story because I know everybody in our audience has had the time when the VIPs are coming out, and you know the VIPs are coming out. Yeah, even if nobody tells you because the food's better, everything's a little cleaner. <laughs> you, but they always get a pass. They they don't have to go through as much training. They don't have to do things, and it's yeah. We'll we'll make sure they say they're safe. But just like you said, when they're coming out to to look at a job. If you have a low-level guy come up and tell them, hey, you need to do this to stay safe, they, they notice that. So just just treating them like they're VIPs and they can do everything is not going to help you. You need to treat no, them correct. like you're going to operate and keep them safe and, and keep everybody you know, safe. And you know, they, they'll know. I mean, if they come with a big inspection group, in this case, in the case of Romania where this oil major came, and, and you start acting and all the cars are perfectly parked backwards, which we never do there because it's not a per se uh, 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 offshore designated facility. They, they build all kinds of ships there. 
they know it's 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 staged, so we don't even do that. No, it's a real thing, you know. And but that takes years. I mean, your first question: How do you deal with that in different countries? You start with your most important yards, production-wise, and then you move to the areas where you know it's going to be more difficult to implement. You could actually say, well, why don't you do it the other way around? But you you need a learning curve on our side as well. The documentation, training, and all that needs, you know, and, and once you've done it for a couple of years, you know exactly how to approach it. All our shipyards use the same methodology of, of building ships. So at the end, whether it is in China or in, in the Netherlands, it is awareness. And, and that's what is most important. You know, Patrick, one of the things that just occurred to me, so we're talking about the construction of vessels and the, and the health, safety, environmental, and the quality of But once that vessel is finished, your clients now have to operate that vessel in a safe manner themselves. So even in the construction of what y'all are doing, you'll have to be thinking about the future safety of, of, your, of your clients. Yeah, you do that, but we can never sit on the on the seats of or the chairs of our customers, of course. I mean, we, we build ships that are controlled by class and, and have all their safety regulations. And at the end of the day, when the customer takes over the vessel, uh, it's up to him how he operates that vessel. But we do provide classes in training. Some of our uh, smaller size-wise customers, they ask us, you know, can you train us? This is the first diesel-electric vessel that we're going to operate. Can you help us? And we'll have crews training. We have people on site that work with the customer for the first six months after they took delivery of the ship. So, yeah, we, we put a lot of energy into that. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know y'all did that part yeah. either. That's really cool that y'all yeah. provide that expertise to your clients if they well, need it. Well, that's how we, that's, that's, and, and, and when we talk about shipbuilding, that's how we build ships here in the U.S. We don't own a shipyard in the U.S., but we're building right now, today, we're building 80, close to 90 ships at non domin shipyards. Some of them, we just hand them our, our designs and say, good luck with it, because that's all they want, and, and they can build it themselves. And some of them, we do everything. We, we bring in an entire, I call it IKEA package of, of, of steel and engines and electronics, and uh, except for the steel, it has to come from the U.S. and the Jones Act. And we bring in the expertise of having built these ships before. Most important, you know, if you, if you build one or two ships it's likely that you're going to lose money on it because you're doing it for the first time. Right. Not when you do this with Daman because we've built these ships over and over again and we bring in the expertise on all the different levels. Every shipyard here in the U.S. that has built or is building ships with Daman loves it. So it's a great, great formula. Yeah. You brought up a good point about doing the, the transfer and ownership of the vessels. So you, you will help train and how to operate. I have a bit of a curveball question. Is I was in an investigation where a piece of equipment failed, and come to find out the that that piece of equipment had multiple correspondence from the manufacturer that our company never received because the shipyard was still the owner of record for that piece of equipment. How does Domin transfer ownership of all the small components that you're obviously buying, you're installing, but now you've transferred ownership? the owner of that vessel needs to be getting those updates. How do you manage that transfer of information or that transfer of ownership for the equipment manufacturers to, to bridge yeah, that we, gap? Uh, yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. Of course, when you grow to the size that we are today, when you deliver 150 to 200 ships a year, when you are Caterpillar and Rolls-Royce's largest purchaser of, of thrusters and engines, there are daily connections to these large 
equipment suppliers. But what separates Dahman from a traditional shipyard is that we have a large 200, 250 people a service organization that travels the world, literally like flying mechanics. We have service hubs in various parts of the world. And when the warranty period is over, nine out of 10 times when a customer calls us a year and a half into it and says, I've got something weird that should never have happened. And, and can you have a look at it? We fly out there. We never talk about the cost. For Mr. Dahman, this is an interesting one. For Mr. Dahman, it's all about leaving a legacy. Uh, he drives a, literally drives a 16-year-old Audi. <laughs> he runs a 12,000, he owns a 12,000 employee company, 2 billion euro revenues every year. And he drives, he, he doesn't care about material things. He likes to leave a legacy. If he sees a barge that is not painted correctly, we are at risk at Dahman. And he will yell at us and and bring that barge back in and repaint it on our cost. So when it comes to helping our customers with documents, with, with revisions, software revisions, you name it, we have a, an incredible service website where every, every of our customers has its own logging code and they see and receive all the drawings, all the technical documents that are applicable to his ship or her ship. That's how we keep up with, all, with, with today's environment of technology where things change a lot. Well, it's a, it's a bit of a joke in the upstream industry. There are main, large equipment manufacturers that part of the revenue stream is the repair of equipment right after yeah. it goes into service. <laughs> and everybody knows who they yeah. are and just kind of like, yeah, they're going to send out a SWAT team, but it's going to cost us money even though it's brand Patrick, new. Let Patrick, me, let me tell you, we lose money with that. <laughs> and and I say that time after time, and I actually told Mr. Dahman this a few weeks ago when I was traveling with him, and I said, you know what? Our model is that we log in a contract with a price and the delivery time. And 99% were spot on with that for our customers. That doesn't mean we're really spot on to it, <laughs> but we have to eat a lot. And we do because that's our reputation. But you're right. Most shipyards enter into a contract for a certain value. And, and by the time the operator takes possession of his ship, that value is not there anymore. He's paying a lot more and the delivery time has exceeded with how many months? I mean, so many months. I mean... I've had to fight with shipyards for warranty issues, yeah. and it's not a fun process in, in my experience. But I mean, I mean, we we actually, Patrick, we see it different. Very often, it is in the warranty and the aftercare where you really make yourself known to your customers. Building a ship is one thing, but becoming a partner in in the project, and and we really do. That's not just sales talk. We really do. You can try to Google something bad about the Dahman organization, very difficult to find. You might find it with so many thousands and thousands of, of deliveries, but it's very difficult because we do everything within our power to to have happy customers. Yeah. And we have the size to support that. I mean, if you're a $50 million shipyard, it's much harder to support your customer with, we have to pour money in than we do. 2 billion euros. You know, we have projects where we lose money because of this, but we can afford that because we're making money on another project. Yeah, it's just good business. It is not a business, I think, to make a quick buck. It is only a good business if you're in for the long haul and, uh, and if, if you're passionate about it. Yeah. And have to be passionate about it. Yeah. Speaking of passion, Jan, did you see the bag I walked in here with and took all this equipment out of? 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Red Wing offshore bag. Oh, okay. Um, it has become a cult item. People literally offer us lots of money for that bag, and you can't buy these bags. The only way you can get one of these bags is to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in, and we draw one lucky winner a week. So, Jan, you could go enter and maybe win an offshore bag. Patrick, you know who our winner is this week? I do, but I forgot to pull it up. <laughs> Good thing I did it for you and put it in the show notes, which means you're not looking at the show notes. So our winner this week is uh, Ann Lam uh, from University of Denver. She's an HSE master's program. I was trying to find her online. I couldn't find her contact information because I, I think we need to get up there and talk to her. I would love to get so so Ann, uh, reach out to Patrick and um, let's let's set up a, a quick call or something because we'd like to learn more about your HSE master program. Hey, maybe we'll even deliver hand deliver your bag. It'll be the yeah. first hand delivered bag we've ever done. Anyway, so uh, go fill out the form, uh, rubingshoes.com forward slash podcast. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. And then if you want to support the show, we just need one thing. Leave us a review. It takes three minutes. It's the best way to support the show. And now we're getting kind of close to winding this thing up. Jan, do you have a Red Wing safety tip of the week? Well, my, my, I think I've said it a couple of times already. You know, you can wear all the best equipment in the world and be, be careful. But, but I think I'm, my tip would be use your own imagination. Use your own brains and be, be smart about where you go and what you do. And you'll be fine. Don't depend blindly on the helmet, on the glasses, and on the regulations. Just use your eyes and ears. Yeah, that's great. Common sense goes a long way. Especially Absolutely. Sense, yeah. Exactly. And before we get out of here, real quick, for 2018, we're still looking for event sponsors. So if you'd like to join uh, Oil & Gas HSE and Oil & Gas Global Network at one of the large Oil & Gas events and come with us as press and actually get some behind-the-scenes footage and get some great exposure for your show, reach out to me. I'd be happy to show the details. Jan, this has been great. It's uh, We love having you on the microphone. It was a really good interview. I can tell you have a passion for what you're doing. It comes across. Yeah, well, thank you. It is, it is true. I, I love what I do. It's a fantastic company. It really is. Um, my wife very often says, I've seen you work for many companies and I've always ha- worked hard, but this almost looks like a, a, a religious sect that you work for. You, <laughs> you, you love it way too much. But I tell her, you know, it's better to have my work as my, as my girlfriend than having a real girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing to have an HSV show. That's, that should be somebody's yeah. Red Wing tip of the week. <laughs> Patrick, anything else we need to talk about? I think that's it. I'm out of practice. I don't know. Maybe we missed something. <laughs> uh, so we're good. So, Jan, once again, thank you for your time. This has been awesome. And we actually had an observer today. We have a Gwendolyn here sitting, snapping pictures of us. We may hear more from her later. So everybody stay tuned. Ready to get out of here, Patrick? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil & Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil & Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. All right, so Jan, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen in the field? Crazy thing that I've ever seen in the field, someone that bought a shipyard in order to tear apart his own contract, which he could not do illegally. Remember that story? <laughs> I remember that story. I was kind of glad you, you keep going because this is a great story. <laughs> and so who was the – so this guy had a contract with the ship. This guy had a contract. He was building the largest super yacht in the world. 
But then two years into construction, he got into financial trouble and he wanted to, uh, to get rid of the contract. Uh, legally, he couldn't do that because the contract was tight. Uh, he sent a group of lawyers and couldn't work it out. Then he traveled to Holland himself. He spoke to the owners of the shipyard and he ended up buying the shipyard. Now he becomes the owner. He tore apart his own ship, you know, <laughs> his own contract and managed to sell the shipyard within one or two months. Yeah, there's, in my opinion, only one brilliant mind that can do this. And, and who, you may guess who it is. Already, well, already you already it is. know. I'm going to ask Patrick who it is. <laughs> I'd, I'd guess Fredrickson. No. No? Do- Donald Trump. Oh, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> awesome story. That was really good. Yeah.